In the past, bilateral truncal vagotomy had been used to treat patients with peptic ulcer disease. Astute clinicians noted that these patients had a loss of appetite following the procedure. How did this eventually lead to the development of a new treatment for obesity? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Camilleri. Dr. Camilleri is a gastroenterologist and professor of medicine and physiology at the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine, where he received the Mayo Clinic Department of Internal Medicine Research Career Achievement Award and the Distinguished Investigator Award. He is currently the editor of the AGA Perspectives. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Dr. Camilleri, how does interfering with the vagus nerve produce appetite changes? Well, there are several functions that are supported by the function of the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is a connection between the vagal nerve centers and the brain stem and the stomach. But it also sends connecting messages to areas that control appetite, such as the hypothalamus. Essentially, the vagus nerve sends messages in, in two directions. One is between the brain stem and the stomach, and the others between the stomach and the brain stem. And so sensations of fullness, of appetite, are mediated through the presence of food and content within the upper gastrointestinal tract. So that's the sensory side of the vagus nerve. But at the same time, the vagus nerve also serves to convey messages that induce digestive functions in the upper gastrointestinal tract. So, for example, the, the vagus nerve is responsible for stimulating acid and enzyme production by the stomach, of making the stomach contract to break down food to a small size, to induce gastric emptying, and also ultimately to induce contraction of the gallbladder and secretion from the pancreas that are essential for the chemical digestion of food. So as one can see, the vagus nerve is almost like a superhighway that conveys information in both directions, and it's critically important for sensation of food, appetite, and also digestion. Now, how did the vagal blocking therapy come about? So there's been a lot of work that's been done with using electrical signaling to change functions of different organs, and, and the classical example for that would be the use of a pacemaker in the heart. For many years, research that was done in the 1960s to 1980s, some of which was done here at Mayo Clinic, had demonstrated the critical importance of the vagus nerve to the functions that we mentioned earlier, particularly the digestion of food, the breakdown of solid food in the stomach, and its emptying. Also, some of the observations were, were made by clinicians in the 1950s who, as you mentioned earlier, had demonstrated that people who had had vagal injury or vagotomy for peptic ulceration often lost weight and they had poor appetite. And so putting all of this together and understanding the function of the vagus nerve in gastric motility, emptying, and digestion it lends itself to posing the question, if you block the function of the vagus nerve in humans, can you induce the same changes that were either produced by cutting the vagus nerve in gastric surgery or inhibiting the function of the vagus nerve in ph by pharmacological approaches in experimental animals? So there was a lot of background information that comes from clinical observation from 
studies of physiology in humans and in animals that resulted in, in proposing this vagal blocking therapy. Tell us about the procedure. How do you do it? So essentially, it's like inserting a pacemaker in the heart, but there's a slight difference, obviously. The pacemaking wires are embedded into the muscle of the heart, whereas the pacemaker wires that are used in this V-blocking therapy involves putting the wires on the anterior and posterior vagus nerves at the level of the diaphragm. Now, the operation has been devised in such a way that it is done laparoscopically, and that is uh, advantageous uh, to, to many patients, of course. After placing the wires on the anterior and posterior vagus nerves, the wires are connected to a, a small computer and battery that is placed under the skin, and this internal computer is then managed by an external controller that is placed over, over the area of that internal device, and therefore it can be programmed as required by the physician. So there are ways in which, for instance, one can change the parameters of the electrical stimulation of the nerve. And that brings me to the point that the way in which this device works is that it delivers high-frequency, low-energy electrical impulses, which have been shown in experiments done in animals to block signals that are conveyed through the vagal nerves. So the, the blocking, in fact, is conducted by a, an electrical stimulus, which is perhaps paradoxical. Who does the procedure? Does a GI physician do it or a surgeon? Well, the procedure is done by surgeons because it requires laparoscopic placement. At least in the current version of these pr procedures they are, and the, the devices, they are made in such a way that they require laparoscopic placement. But it's an interesting question you pose because there are now approaches that are being developed such that a gastroenterologist or a gastroenterological surgeon who is an expert in endoscopy may eventually be able to perform an operation through the esophagus or the top of the stomach and with the endoscope find these vagus nerves, which as we know are outside the esophagus and stomach, and implant the electrodes onto the vagus nerves in that manner. Now, you might ask, how are you going to get from inside the esophagus or inside the stomach to get to the vagus nerves that are on the wall outside the stomach? And that's where the research is currently going on. But there are approaches that are still experimental that are being developed, which will possibly in the future allow the endoscopist to make a tiny hole in the wall of the distal esophagus or proximal stomach in order to place these pacing wires onto the vagus nerves and then closing the hole with a clip, an endoscopic clip, and then coming out. Now, of course, that's still probably several years away, but it is conceivable that this might be an approach that might be applicable in the future. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Michael Camilleri. We're discussing VBLOC, vagal blocking therapy for obesity. How safe is the procedure? Well, the experience we have up to now is in the first 30 or 31 patients that have been studied in the first clinical trial. 
in that study, the procedure was extremely safe. Rarely patients had slow recovery of bowel function, like a postoperative ileus, but there was no need for any further operations or any complications like hemorrhage or infection that required a second operation. We've also got very good data on monitoring of pulse and blood pressure, which remained normal. That's important because, as we all remember, the vagus nerve also supplies impulses to the heart. And it it was conceivable that applying an electrical stimulus to the vagus nerve in the abdomen may have somehow reflexly induced changes in heart rhythm or heart rate. However, nothing like that was seen. And if anything, the blood pressure recordings that we have over a three or six month period of time suggest that there is a, a normalization of blood pressure in patients who had high blood pressure. This, of course, may be part of the benefit of losing weight, but it is also possible that the the signal may have a specific effect on blood pressure control. Now, how many centers are currently performing the procedure? In the first study, which had about 30 patients, there were three centers. Uh, They were in Adelaide, Australia, Mexico City, and Trondheim, Norway. However, there's recently been a United States multi-center study, and there were 13 centers throughout the country involved in this study. I'm told that the recruitment for that study has now been completed, so regrettably anybody who's interested in having this procedure done may have to wait for the next study to open. So it is still experimental. We can't send our patients yet. That is correct. Who might be the ideal patient for this procedure? Well, I think at the present time, the ideal patient would be a male or female between ages of 18 and 65 who have a body mass index of between 35 and 45. So just to put that in perspective, we know that people are regarded as being overweight if their body mass index is between 25 and 30, and they have class 1 obesity between 30 and 35. It turns out that even from natural history studies that have been published, we're still not sure that a body mass index of between 30 and 35 on its own, without uh, obesity complications, has any negative impact on people's lives. And that's why I think at the present time, I would not consider patients who have a body mass index of less than 35 unless there is a complication. For instance, if they have type 2 diabetes or they have obstructive sleep apnea or hypertension, or degenerative joint disease, for example, that requires them to protect all of those body functions. So presently, I would regard patients between 35 and 45 as the ideal candidates. I'm also thinking not to suggest patients over body mass index of 45, because we know that those patients do indeed have those risks to to bodily functions and to life because of complications like diabetes, stroke, and heart attack. And those, I think, require a a more definitive and currently approved treatment to bring their risks from obesity uh, down. So what do you see as the future for this bagel blocking therapy? When might it be available clinically? Obviously, one has to see the the progress from the current study. The the current multi-center study will 
be analyzed sometime in the middle of 2009. And I suspect that that will lead to a subsequent and perhaps final study that will be also coordinated with the, uh, with the help of the Food and Drug Administration in order to make sure that the appropriate regulatory considerations are, are included in the study. So I don't think that this is going to be available for clinical use before 2010. Well, thank you for giving us a preview. You're welcome. We've been discussing VBLOC, vagal blocking therapy, as a potential treatment for obesity. Our guest today has been Mayo Clinic gastroenterologist, Dr. Michael Camilleri. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you for listening.